Excellente. How about you? I am doing groovy. I am frosty and I am comfy AF. Nice. I love it. <laughs> I love it, man. Did you have a good Easter? Uh, I did. I did. Uh, did a little bit of reading. I, I, I'm reading about um, how to write screenplays. Because I keep having these dreams about screenplays. Um, writing screenplays and different ways, di different strategies and tactics for writing screenplays. Now, I've never written a screenplay, but I'm, I'm reading several books that that explain the art of writing screenplays. And God keeps giving me dreams about screenplays. So I guess I have a new chapter in my life <laughs> where I'm going to be writing some screenplays and maybe pitching them to production companies and studios so we'll have to see how that goes that would be so, awesome yeah how was your easter it was good it was good it was very very chill here at the house um you know played a uh, passion of christ last night and we got a bunch of the fam together that was good um yeah yeah i mean it was just nice i got a couple good naps in i stayed up way too late this weekend so. <laughs> Yeah. Naps are important. They're very important. Very <laughs> crucial to the uh, comfy AF feeling too. Heck yeah. Yeah. So did you get? Are you? Are you? Are you writing on that? Are you? Are you actually? I'm going back to the screenplay, man. I'm not letting you get away from that. Are, are you, yeah. So have you actually like started? Yeah. So I have one one screenplay started, and it's it's kind of interesting the process that you use to write a screenplay. It's very different from how you would typically write a novel, although the storytelling is similar. Uh, with a novel, there's, there's two ways to write a novel or, or a fictional short story. One of which is to create an outline first, um, and you create different turning points in the story. You create uh, kind of, most stories have, it, short stories usually are a one act uh, story. Most novels or novellas are a three-act uh, story. So most writers think of uh, storytelling in terms of three acts. That's just kind of the way it's been for you know, thousands of years. Coming up with a novel concept, you have to think about having act one, act two, and act three. There's At the beginning, there's an inciting incident that gets the ball rolling and kind of moves everything in, in, in a certain direction. The end of act one, there's usually a crisis, a, a, a minor crisis that has to be resolved that segues into act two. Act two, the action builds to another crisis at the end of act two. And then the resolution of, or, or the continuing drama of act two leads you into act three. In act three, the major crisis 
of the story and then the resolution of that crisis and, and that's kind of the three-act setup but some people who write uh, fiction will actually write a, a framework or an outline in, in in hollywood they typically call it a step outline step outline is is a structure for the entire uh, production where you describe each scene uh, a brief description of each scene in the story and typically with a film you're going to have between 40 and 60 different scenes similar to in a, in a novel you're going to have about 60 to 80 scenes in, a, in an average novel uh, so right so some people will actually start out writing their novel or their screenplay describing the scenes just brief one or two sentences to describe the scene uh, and this is writing off of an outline and you, you kind of uh, march out in the story the different scenes and how they lead to the act one crisis the act two crisis and the act three crisis and then resolution uh, and and right so that's one way to write and then another way um, which is how i wrote my first novel sort of actually it's not true <laughs> the first novel that i wrote the gates of shiloh i actually wrote a series of cliffhanger short stories uh, 500 to 1,000 words each over the course of about three months. I wrote 11 of them. I wrote individual scenes and I wasn't thinking of putting them together as a novel. But when I got done, everyone was like, oh, you need to turn this into a novel. And I was like, oh, no, um, that work. Um, but I, eventually I did get around to turning that into a novel. And that was, um, that. I think the, the production of that was mostly uh you know they, they some people say there, there's two kinds of writers there's plotters and there's pantsers uh, a plotter is a person who writes from a structure they create a structured outline with scenes and they create the plot first and then they fill in the details with characters and narration then the pantsers they kind of fly by the seat of their pants yeah they just write whatever comes to their mind um they create the story as they go. They don't create a plot structure ahead of time. They just write uh, kind of just whatever that inspires them. And I've, I do most of my writing that way, especially for my nonfiction books. Um, I, I don't normally come up with a, a structured outline for a, for a book on dreams or power and authority or, or healing. That's, uh, that's typically just, I just trans, tra transcribe the Holy Spirit uh, but writing fiction and writing drama is a bit of a different process. And, and I could write, uh, just inspired, just let it go, flying by the seat of my pants. But I'm actually enjoying writing from a plot structure. Uh, so right now, the screenplay, now let's go back to screenplay. So in the screenplay, what you do is you, you develop the scenes and you normally you do, you create um, it's kind of a storyboard, a step outline, brief description of each scene. If you create a storyboard or a step outline, that gives you the ability to switch scenes around and move them um, in different order until you get in a story flow that works. Um, one of the things that Robert McKee uh, said that just kind of was a light bulb moment for me. 
you said the, the, the beauty of writing from a step outline is that you have an unlimited ability to write scenes. Mm. And what, what most writers are going to end up doing is trashing the majority of the stuff they write. And that's true. When I, when I wrote the novel, Gates of Shiloh, I handed it to my editor and I had 61 chapters in the finished manuscript. I got it back and it only had 50 chapters. She had wow. cut out 11 chapters of the, of the novel. Uh, and I was like, but I, but I worked hard. <laughs> I really like these chapters. You, you can't take them all out. And she was like, yeah, we can. Uh, they don't add anything to the story. Uh, they're just that you like them, you know, I get it. But she's like, they don't add to the story and, and it slows down the story. It slows down the pacing. Uh, these scenes don't really contribute anything to move the story along. And she was right. Uh, as I've learned more about, about storytelling, reading, you know, people like Robert McKee, he, and, and a lot of other people, um, have commented that if a particular scene doesn't add to the, um, the, the telling of, if it doesn't further the protagonist's goal or, or the, their opposition that the antagonist's goal, if it doesn't, um, do anything to illustrate how that conflict is either going to increase or be resolved then get rid of it. And, and a lot of people who write uh, fiction, um, create a lot of scenes that don't contribute anything to the overall storytelling. And that's just the way it is. So with, if you create a step outline, um, you, create a series of, you can do it in note cards, but most people do it electronically on some kind of a program. You can write brief scene descriptions, 60, 70, 80, 100, 200 scenes. And, and it's not unreasonable to write 200 scenes for a novel or, or a screenplay. Then what you do is you pick out the 60 that you like and you get rid of all the rest. I mean, it's a lot of, it's getting rid of a lot of, of um, potential information but you're gonna to have to do that anyway. And as I started kind of analyzing the way that you write fiction, it made sense to me because, all right, I wrote 11 chapters in my first novel that got shredded and never, never <laughs> appeared in the book. And that took me a good month at least to write those 11 chapters, probably two months, write those 11 chapters. If I had created a step outline and described those chapters initially, and handed them to my editor. She would have said, get rid of those scenes. They're not going to use those. And I could have saved myself a month or two of writing stuff that was going to get cut out anyway at the end. Right. So from an efficiency perspective, because, because I don't want to spend a month or two writing stuff. That's crap. That's going to get edited out. Mm -hmm. I like to write more efficiently and, you know, looking at the step outline, if you create a, a scene, just describe it in a, in a couple of sentences, like I said, and create 200 scenes with a brief description of each scene, you'll be able to go through all of them very quickly and go, that works. I like that one. That one's crap. That one's stupid. That one doesn't help. Oh, I like that one. And you can then just get rid of all of your bad ideas and save the good ideas and spend more of your time working through the good scenes, the good ideas, and not wasting your time 
writing a bunch of crap that's going to get edited out in the end anyway. So this is the process I'm going through as I'm learning about writing fiction for screen and and, and for, uh, for my novels. And uh, yeah, I am working on a screenplay. I think this first one, I'm going to write it as both a novel and a screenplay at the same time. That's an interesting process because when you write a novel, you're, you're able to write um, passages that describe the inner thought life of your main character, not all of your characters. Um, in, in writing, you can go inside their thinking. And actually the, the book um, Shiloh's, uh, The Gates of Shiloh, is a really good example of that. The main character has uh, multiple personalities. Um, she's, she suffered uh, satanic ritual abuse as a child, and she ended up with multiple personalities. And, you know, anyone would tell you, don't for your first novel, don't choose a main character that has multiple personalities, because it's hard enough to come up with one good <laughs> personality for a main character. I gave my main character, like, you know, six or seven major personalities, and they all show up in the story. And these different characters are popping in and out in different scenes. Uh, I would not recommend that for writing your first novel. <laughs> Don't or write novel. like Sybil. What? Don't write like Sybil. Yeah, pretty much. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in in writing that, that story, um, I got a chance to develop a lot of interesting characters. And I got, we got we get to look at the inner world inside the soul of, per, of a person who suffers from severe emotional trauma and satanic ritual abuse. And they people do have an inner world where these personalities live inside of this inner world and they have like a regular life. Mm -hmm. So I described the inner life of this in the soul a person with multiple personalities, and you see these characters interacting in the in the soul. That's something that would be very difficult to portray in film. I mean, you could do it. Uh, you could portray two worlds: the the, rea the real world, the physical world, and then the inner world. But you'd have to use some kind of um, filter, or go to a black and white or a sepia tone um, uh, scene to indicate that this is not happening in the physical world, it's happening in the inner soul of this person. Hard to do on film. And that's the issue with film is, um, in a screenplay, typically you only include whatever you can hear or see on film. Mm -hmm. Can't see it, can't hear it. You don't include it in a screenplay. So if I'm going to write this story, for screen and as a novel, I'm going to have to write it in two very different ways. The novel will have the inner thought life of the characters. The screenplay will really just have description of the scenes, some of the dialogue, background information, things of that nature. Um, very different process and uh, challenging, but you know what? I like challenges. The first screenplay I'm working on, it's about one of our favorite subjects. And I'm, I'm debating about whether I should make it overtly about one of our favorite subjects or if I should conceal it and kind of make it an allegory about one of our favorite subjects. I haven't decided what I'm going to do yet on that. Interesting. But uh, I have I have a synopsis for that screenplay written. So a synopsis is about a one page, maybe two page at the most, 
description of the overall story arc. So description of the, of the main character, their problem, uh, the conflict, um, some of the, a little bit of information about the foes, the forces that oppose them. And then the, the, the crisis moment, describing the crisis in the story and then the resolution of the crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of just a, like I said, a one page summary, that's a synopsis. And then for those of you who are interested in learning about screenplays, so then what you typically do is you take that synopsis, which is one or two pages, and you turn it into a treatment. And a treatment is, a, is an expanded version of the synopsis, but it's told in real time as a camera would film it. Hmm. So you write in the present tense. Steve walks into the room, throws his laptop, hits the wall, knocks a piece of drywall out. Uh, he grabs a bottle of brandy, pours a glass and slugs it down. So you write your treatment of your, of your story in, in the present tense. You don't include every scene in a treatment, but it's a, it's, it's a real time telling of the story. Uh, right. So typically, you write a treatment and then you use the treatment and you pitch that to a production company or a studio. That's actually what I've been having dreams about. I've been having dreams about how to pitch a screenplay <laughs> idea to studios and production companies. Oh, that's gotta be fascinating. And how, and I'm also having dreams about how to write a screenplay that leaves options for the storytelling. Not that the story necessarily has to go a certain way, but leaving options open for the ending to go one of two or three different ways. That mm -hmm. was straight in the dream I had last night. So God is God is instructing me and teaching me about strategies and tactics for writing screenplays. It's just to me, it's it's fascinating. I'm like, all right, well, I guess I better take this seriously and, and get cracking <laughs> on some uh, some writing. So that's, your dreams yeah. are pretty uh, right on. What's that? I said your dreams are pretty right on. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love my dreams. They just amuse me and they entertain me, but I love the way that God teaches me uh, and highlights certain things through dreams. It's just, uh, I, I love it. I love cooperating with God and working with God and knowing what's on his mind and what he wants to do on, on a daily basis. I'm still working on my dreams, man. I, you know, oof. I try to go to sleep telling him, I, oh, listen, I know this is a valuable time. I need to remember my dreams. I'm getting a little better. I'm, I remember like little little snippets a little better now. I had I had a dream yesterday that I don't know why, but I was driving around and and I couldn't see. Like my eyes were like, they were like burning and like I couldn't see. And Jen and Gavin were in the car and I'm like driving through lights and stop signs and stuff. And then I woke up. I don't I have no idea what the hell it means, but... Do you want me to? Do you want to talk about it or not? I don't care. Yeah, sure. All right. So typically, in, in a dream, uh, when you're in a car, the car represents you. Oh boy. Okay. So the features of the car, or the way the car is behaving on the road, or the way that it's driving, or the way you're behaving as you drive the car. That is a symbolic representation of how you are operating spiritually. 
Well, there was no accidents. We made it through everything. It was like perfect. But you're having trouble seeing. Yeah. Right. So um, that that is that's a real common kind of dream. Uh, a lot of people have dreams where that uh, they're driving a car, but they're having problems driving. So the brakes don't work and they're going through stop signs and they're, you know, out of control or they or the car keeps pulling into the oncoming lane of traffic that those kind of things suggest a person's uh, whose life is out of control. If you can't stop your car, metaphorically speaking, that illustrates the idea that you're not able to say no. And that you're kind of a yes person and you just go along with everything and you agree to everything maybe because you lack self-control or, or you're a people pleaser right so with your dream difficulty seeing well spiritually what does it mean to see what is spiritual sight uh, is it spiritual foresight is your ability to see the future uh, prophetically is it the ability to see what's coming down the road, God's ability to, your ability to perceive what God is showing you about your future and the future of your family and your destiny? Maybe that's what it could uh, symbolize. Um, it could symbolize um, your insight into your own life, your own purpose, your own destiny, or your families, or, you know, what is your ministry really about? What is God's um, overall purpose? for you and your ministry. And those those things tend to be things we need insight or foresight into. And the our spiritual vision, our ability to see things is, you know, portrayed in those things. Here's a good example. Like if you're driving a car and you're driving at night and your headlights don't work and you can't see where you're going, right? That dream would illustrate a lack of spiritual foresight. Like you can't see where you're going. You can't see what's in front of you. You might hit something, have an accident, and because you can't see very well, right? So vision problems when you're, is related to a car and a dream. Typically, it is illustrating issues of you know spiritual vision, foresight, insight, uh, oversight. In some cases, um, you know, if you have a, a business or, or a ministry. And you, you have oversight over that. You're supposed to have some control and some oversight over the operations. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those issues are, are illustrated in those dreams where you can't see very well when you're driving a car. So you know, it's just something to pray to. And, and it could be something as simple as God telling you, hey, you need to remember your dreams. Because in dreams, <laughs> dreams are uh, spiritual vision. We see things, we perceive the future and our destiny and things that God wants to show us through dreams. Mm -hmm. So you keep saying, well, I'm having a hard time remembering my dreams, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is actually illustrated possibly in that dream where you, you know, we're having vision problems. So it could be confirmation that God wants you to focus more on your dreams. Well, I'm definitely trying. So yeah, yeah. it's practice. It's discipline. Yeah. <laughs> Live dream interpretation with praying medic. That's dangerous, boys. Like, oh, sure, go ahead. <laughs> I, I like talking about dreams. I know you do. What, like, uh, like, what's one of your craziest dreams lately? <laughs> All right. So, I'm working on this dream book, 
and, and as I'm working on the book, God has given me some very interesting dreams to illustrate things he wants me to put in the book. <laughs> He's like, oh, you didn't include this and you didn't include that. So let's talk about these. I'm going to give you a dream and I'm going to show you what I want you to write about in this chapter. And he's given me um, a, a couple of uh, subjects that he wants me to talk about through things. And he wants me to put them in the dream book. One of them is um, I recently had a dream where God showed me how writing helps define the meaning of words and symbols. Hmm. And I knew that God wanted me to include that in the dream book, but I didn't know what the context of it was. So I prayed about it for a couple of days, which just means I thought about it, you know, no religious uh, exercises. Just thought about it for a couple of days, and then it dawned on me what he was talking about. Um, you know how the, the mainstream media will change the meaning of a symbol to mean yeah. something that it doesn't actually mean yeah to uh suit their own purpose well that's kind of what god was showing me he was showing me that our opponents will sometimes change the meaning of our symbols our language our words and our terms um to smear us and to cast us in a bad light the wrap-up smear the wrap-up smear right so they they take an, a, a, our terminology they take pepe the frog and they say well pepe the frog symbolizes white supremacy and the okay symbol <laughs> represents this they change the meaning of our symbols and our terms and our language and that's what god was illustrating in this in this dream he wanted me to know that when we write about our culture, about our lay, about our subjects, we define the terms. We define what these things mean to us. And when we don't, if we don't write, if we don't do broadcasts, we let them decide what those symbols and terms mean. So I included that. That's uh, in one of the chapters in the dream book. There's this discussion about how sometimes a, a word or a symbol is relevant to a certain culture. And sometimes the enemy of that culture will redefine the word or symbol because they have a political agenda. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's, that's a recent dream God gave me. Then he gave me, um, he gave me another one. Uh, it's kind of interesting. This, this dream is hard to describe, but I'll do my best. This dream I had about a week ago. So in the dream, God showed me, a series of dreams and uh, he showed me the process he uses to instruct me through my dreams right so it was like taking a behind the scenes look at how god teaches someone through dreams in this dream i was observing myself and that hardly ever happens in dreams i hardly ever see myself in dreams mm -hmm. but i saw myself having a series of different dreams and in each one god was sh he was showing me the purpose for that dream why he gave it to me what he was teaching me 
how in some cases he was finding a way to work around a problem that I had. <laughs> like I was not understanding something. I, I was having a, a mental block or I was, you know, some issue, you know, pride or, you know, self-reliance or whatever was being illustrated and how God was working around that problem. He was giving me revelation, giving me understanding, despite the fact that I had this obstacle that was standing in the way of what he actually wanted to do. So uh, I'm going to write about that in the dream book. Um, I haven't put put that down in, in words yet, but God's just giving me some very interesting dreams. Uh, as I'm writing a book about dreams, he's illustrating various principles that he wants me to write about in the book. So, so it's all good. It's all fun. I'm learning. Yeah. <laughs> you got to put any dream sequences in the screenplay? Uh, let's see. Uh, you know, I have a chapter I want to write in a book called three analogies in a dream sequence. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I like writing, uh, dream sequences. Uh, in the book Shiloh, Gates of Shiloh, there's part of the storytelling is done through dreams um, because for, well, for two of the characters, um, it was a good way to foreshadow some things that were, that were going to happen that I wanted the readers to know about. Uh, and I wanted them to understand that one of the characters, Charity, has uh, a particular prophetic foresight that it's helpful and, and explain to readers how, what that looks like and how it works. Will I use dream sequences in the screenplay? I, I might. I might. The, the screenplay, the concept I have right now for the first one doesn't really require um, any of the characters to have dreams for the storytelling, not, at least not the way I'm thinking of it right now. But, but it looks like I'm going to be writing a number of screenplays and I'm sure I'm sure some of them will have dream sequences. Um, the science fiction book that I'm working on, uh, the science fiction series, I should say, the trilogy, I'm, I'm debating whether I want the main character to have uh, dreams that foretell the future or at least visions because I think I think that would help his character. A lot of characters in, in fiction have, they have a superpower, mm -hmm. something they're good at, something that is kind of a little unique um, and, and that makes them uh, stand out from the, the rest of the crowd. And, and in this um, science fiction series, this, this, the main character is chosen for this mission. He doesn't know it. He doesn't realize he's been chosen. He just, uh -huh. he shows up on this, planet uh, and has no idea why but he's been chosen because I, I think he's been chosen because he has uh, a, a gift that no one else has and he's the only one who can do this mission mm -hmm. right so that the way I want to tell the story it would be best if he had um, prophetic uh, foresight if he just saw things happening if he had a really well-developed ability to see in the future. And actually, what I want to do with this character is give him a give him the ability to see the future, but have it poorly developed and have him go through training on the planet that would actually sharpen his ability to see the future. Mm. I don't know if 
that's going to make its way into that uh, series or not. I, I hope it will. Uh, I'm, I'm just kind of trying to run with, with the ideas of that science fiction story. Um, and that's an idea that I've been playing around with for a long time. Well, we'll have to see if it makes it into the final cut or not. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about all the states that are uh, look, changing their election laws and looking to do audits of the November election? Have you been paying attention to that much at all? Uh, loosely, loosely. I, I find it I find it amusing, uh, you know, how Biden's losing his mind over it a little bit, you know? I think it is a, a, a major event that we need to be watching over the next three months. I think that is the big story right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, Trump comes out, he's been posting on Gab uh, over the weekend, posted a bunch of messages. And every message he is telling us, do not forget what they did to us in November. Mm -hmm. His messaging is, we need to stand up, the silent majority, be heard, be loud, contact our elected leaders, and let them know we are not moving forward. We're not moving, getting past this. We're not going to the 2022 election until changes to the election process, until these Dominion voting machines are gone, until the 2020 election has been audited, the ballots have been looked at, the data has been looked at. Uh, the connections to the internet have been looked where the data went and who who had access to trump is i think is clearly signaling to us that we need to make that november election rigging the issue for the next three months yeah uh we can't we can't just you know oh let's forgive and forget you know it, it was what it was and let's just move on and you know maybe we'll, we'll win next time that, that ain't happening nah um you look at the way that a lot of the state legislatures, and there, now we have this battle with Coca-Cola and Delta Airlines and American Airlines and everybody else, all these CEOs and various companies are coming out and expressing vocal opposition to Georgia's election um, hmm. law changes. That is why. a, yeah, I wonder why. It's a huge issue. Yeah. It's It shows that there's a little bit of panic on the deep state side, um, they're 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 getting all assets deployed. The mainstream media, the corporations, you're going to see it in academia. You're going to see it in Hollywood, a lot of other places. They are going to muster all of their people to get their messaging going in that direction to fight these election law changes. Uh, and we need to um, stand our ground and hold the line and insist that these laws be changed, that uh, corrupt people like Raffensperger, Doug Ducey and other people, Gavin Newsom and, and Cuomo are replaced, removed from office and replaced. Um, that's that's kind of the game plan right now from, from what I see and, I, and I'm liking it yeah. because, you know, the, again, we talk about this every week, but I'm gonna hammer this nail one more time it's a it's about driving people to the precipice mm -hmm. whether it's you know the vaccination passport issue or the election rigging and the election law changes and the vote culture whatever it is all of these issues they're throwing at us um, they're trying desperately 
to push this globalist agenda, shove it down our throats and force us uh, to swallow it. Mm -hmm. And more they do it, the more they're waking people up to the realities of control. Uh, if there's anything that I've learned over the last two years, I've learned a lot about the control of science and the science of control. Mm. And, you know, the way they can, the way they've manipulated this, the scientific reports regarding COVID, the masks and, and everything else and hydroxychloroquine and every, all the other treatments. Um, it's just, it, it, I have learned a lot about how the mainstream media and the medical technocracy control the flow of information within the scientific community to push an agenda. And the more they do this, the more they're waking people up to the truth that they really want to control us. That is their game plan. They don't have our best interest at heart. They want to control us. They want to take our money and tell us how we're going to live. And they want a tyrannical government. That's their end game. And they're shoving this down our throats so fast. It's like everything that Trump did over the last four years is being undone so quickly mm -hmm. that it tells you they're in panic mode. They want to get this done quickly because they know they don't have much time to do it. Yeah. So that, you know, everything from making the, the military a green military and getting the army off of fossil fuels and like, we're going to have what solar powered jets. Yeah. Me? yeah come on, man. <laughs> what the hell are these people? But people who are like, have common sense, listen to this and go, yeah, they got to work. Yeah. I don't feel it. It's going to happen. Right. But it's waking people up to the reality that like these people really are kind of insane. <laughs> so I'm, in, I'm enjoying it because it's exposing their stupidity. It's exposing their real agenda, their thirst for power. The fact that they don't care uh, about our rights, the gun, the gun legislation, they keep pushing. There's more false flags, more shootings, and they keep pushing, you know, uh, magazine capacities and, and more and more anti-gun legislation and what are the states doing every state that is at all concerned arkansas iowa just passed a bill uh legally constitutional carry so you don't need to have a, a permit to conceal yeah. carry or purchase and a lot of states are falling in line uh, they're following texas and arizona in constitutional carry laws um, everything that the deep state is doing is backfiring and it's causing state legislatures to, and governors to do the right thing. Uh, and it's causing people to wake up. I know that people are frustrated and angry. I know that people get anxious because they don't want the vaccine passport. They don't want a lot of these things. That's fine. I get it. I understand that you don't want these things, right? But what you have to realize is the larger context is as they try to push these things on us, you may not want it, but the unintended consequence for them is it's waking people up. I'm, I'm not worried about vaccine passports. I'm not worried about any, you know, gun legislation that they're trying to push in DC. It's not going to work. I'm not worried about HR1 and them infringing on our voting rights. I'm not worried because, because number one, I don't think that legislation is going to pass. They're not going to su successfully pass. Uh, this anti-gun legislation and the voting, uh, stripping away our voting rights. Um, and, and if they do manage to pass it, what it's going to do is it's going to force more states to take action against it.
-hmm. It's going to cause more states to stand up to the federal government and say, well, you know what? Go ahead and pass your anti-gun legislation. Because a lot of states now are passing laws that make it illegal or, or make federal laws unenforceable. Two states recently passed laws making federal gun legislation unenforceable. And in Arizona, if you're a federal agent and you try to enforce uh, gun legislation, it opens you to litigation. You can yeah. be sued. So a lot of states in the, in the face of this opposition from the federal government, from the kleptocracy that rules over us, uh, we're getting a lot of good legislation at the state level that where states are taking back their rights from the federal government. And the founders gave most of the power to the states. There wasn't a strong centralized federal government. That only came later. Well, and that's and what state, Trump tried to do over the pandemic. You know, he was given. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not up to us. You you got a governor. What's, what, what is he saying to do? I mean, put the power back right. over there. Thankfully, right. we got Ronnie D, Ron DeSantis here in Florida. He's even yeah. had a thing going out. It made it illegal for the uh, for the vaccine passport here in Florida. Yep. And guess what? Uh, I, I would imagine in the next three months, a few other states are probably going to pass similar legislation outlawing the vaccine passport. Yeah. And that's, DeSantis does it in Florida. Someone another state's going to do it, and another state, and another state, and another state. And it, like I said, it, it is these idiotic policies that are coming from the Biden administration are forcing the states to take back their rightful power. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing. That's why I'm not freaking out about this stuff. Yeah. You know, and look, if you live in California or New York, where your your state is run by Nazis, move to a state where it's not run by Nazis. <laughs> move to Florida, move to Arizona, come where you down. have rights and liberties. Just remember, when you come here, you don't get to vote for the the Nazis. You have to vote for you know, Patriots. That's, right? that's our thing. <laughs> well, I think anybody that would make the move, I think they would, uh, you know, be in line. Right. Yeah. If you're moving out of a Nazi state and you go to a, a free state, don't vote for the Nazis when you get there. Well, I think Gavin Newsom's going to implode himself, man. I think he's going to. Uh, I think he, yeah. the whole recount with him, they, you know, everything to mess around, they're trying to play with that petition and everything. I think that's. Uh, I think that's going to open up people's eyes over there too. I mean, I think California's red anyway. I mean, you know. yeah, Newsom is burnt toast. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's crisp. He, he's as crisp as those trees that got burned in the fires last year. Yeah, uh, it's only a matter of time. And uh, you know, again, what is it? What does it do to? It's due to these obnoxious, stupid, far left wingnuts hoisting mm -hmm. their idiotic policies on people and the people saying okay red line you've gone too far we are getting rid of you because you're a crazy person and yeah. and that's that's just what's happening um you know it's, it's unfortunate that that it took trump being removed from office and all this other you know the COVID stuff the vaccine passport and everything else to wake some people up to the realities of institutionalized corruption but people are waking up and they are not having this anymore. So, Amen. you know, I'm comfy. Me too, man. <laughs> comfy AF, comfy AF. I'm feeling comfy AF. I was feeling really comfy AF for the uh, the shout out on X22 the other day. Thank you so much, man. You got a shout out from X22? Yeah, you. You said you were over here.
All right. Dave doesn't even know what he says. Oh, I might have a clip for that. I am doing Monday morning live broadcast with my friend Greg Harvey on CloudHub. Monday morning medic. That is at... Let's see. I know. Monday morning medic. Monday morning medic. <laughs> That's okay. All right. So today, today, I will contact Dave and see if he's interested in coming on your show. Woohoo! Everybody say a prayer. Say a prayer. Lift it up right now. <laughs> uh, uh, you guys I, are my main. I don't, know. I don't think he does a lot of appearing on other people's shows, but he, he might. I don't know. It doesn't hurt to ask. Yeah, well, I put up a nice graphic and everything, you know. I mean, I can do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so we'll see what happens. I was excited, though, man. I was like, oh, he said my name on X22 Report, man. You guys are my main daves, man. So what are you doing this week? You got any more interviews this week coming up or anything? We, we got to we gotta get out of here, but. Yeah, I don't have any interviews coming up this week. I, I got motivated to get some classes up and going to start recording some videos for a couple of classes that one of them is going to be the class on self publishing and also working on a class, you know, I was thinking I really should do a class on dream interpretation too. Mm-hmm. And one on singing the spirit. So probably working on some videos for the classes, definitely working on uh, a couple of books and continuing to learn about how to write screenplays. Yeah, that's that's kind of my my schedule for this week. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we love you, brother man. Thank you so much for being here. You want to pray us out? No. Okay. All right. You can. Lord, thank you so much for this time with Dave. We just love him. We love his uh, everything that you're doing. Just continue to pour the creativity into him. Uh, give him the uh, give him some rest along the way too, Lord. And thank you so much for him and Denise. And Lord, we just love everything that they're doing, and we know that you're shining that light on them. And, Lord, keep them strong, keep them going, and keep that light shining bright. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, man. Appreciate amen. it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, and I'll, and I'll talk to you before. Like, you got blown up over on Foxhole this morning. Everybody wants you over there. So maybe we can Oh, someone, can someone please explain to me how the heck Foxhole works? Like, I went on the app. I installed the app on my phone, and I'm like, this is connected to something called pilled.net. Yeah. So I tried to create an account there. I don't know. I don't understand how this whole foxhole thing works. It's like I don't get it. Just, I need a tutorial from someone. I'll help you, man. All right. Yeah, I'm totally enjoying it over there. Let, let's do a Zoom, and you can explain it to me. Will do. Will do. And <laughs> I know. I know. Methods would love to have you over there. Yeah, Methods is the one who email messaged me. He's like, "Hey, man, you need to get over on Foxhole because you want to live stream with you." And I'm like, "Uh, all right." Well, I'll, I'll, I'll pray about that. <laughs> yeah, it's good. You'd love it, man. We'll go. I, I'll right. call you. I'll call you later on, man. All right. All right. But right now, I'm going on on where we go. One, we go all. I drop media. I'll see you guys tonight. God bless your day. I love you guys so much. Tell that stuff in your life. Get out. Get out. So God can replace it with some goodness. Uh, a little bit of heaven here on earth. And uh, we'll talk about it tonight. So I love you guys. I love you, Dave. And uh, here we go. us. It connects us. No matter how far apart we are, love can move mountains, soothe hearts, and heal souls. And we are all one, no matter what anyone else tells you. So let's send some love out to everyone listening around.
Is it the gift of a revelation or a Bible of the crown? See the force of my intention and the snake that sold disease. I've been called to find the water by the one who chains the beast. And the legion of the faithful come to Anointed to this day, I take his sword of righteous fire and call the right to king. Free the precious children, but I see evils of the past. Take my final place in heaven.